If you don't know me, my name's Josh Rowe. Uh, I'm one of the ministers at St. John's on Gettys Presbyterian Church. Uh, it's my privilege to be here with you today and to share God's Word together. As we look at God's Word, let's take a moment to pray and ask that He would work through His Word in our hearts. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for this part of the Bible here in Exodus. And we ask, Lord, that as we look at it together, that You would work by Your Spirit, through Your Word, in our hearts to change us, to turn our eyes to you and grow us to be more like Jesus. We ask this in his name. Amen. Uh, I want you to imagine a scene for a moment. Uh, Imagine that it's Sunday morning at church and the preacher stands up ready to preach. Not hard to imagine so far. I'm sure you can get there. The preacher opens his mouth and all of a sudden he bursts into song. Then he starts to dance, an impressive, highly choreographed dance. This is where it starts to get hard to imagine. What's more, he jumps up onto the lectern, and then from the lectern onto the top of the piano, and he begins tapping out the most incredible tap dance. Suddenly, the band jumps up and begins belting out a rousing tune. The whole congregation leaves their feet and starts singing and dancing in perfect time. There's twirling, there's leaps, there's perfectly coordinated back tap dancing, even a back backflip or two. The whole church in a whirl of colour, dancing, flawless singing, all of it. Now, that might be normal Sunday at uh, Eastgate, I'm not exactly sure, but that would be unusual at St. John's on Gettys. Suddenly, church has become a musical. Whether you love them or hate them, musicals, they seem to exist in this kind of alternate reality, don't they? This alternate reality where everyone instantly knows all the lyrics to the main character's song. Uh, where everyone is a flawless and incredible dancer, where even in the terrible things of life, the world is a magical place where everyone sings and dances. It seems ridiculous, really, doesn't it? But this morning, that's almost what we get here in Exodus. (laughs) The people, they've just been rescued from Egypt. They've just come through the Red Sea. God has incredibly saved them from the hands of the Egyptians by parting the sea so that his people could walk through on dry land between these two huge walls of water. God has just swept away Egypt's mighty army in the sea. They've been saved. Their enemies defeated once and for all. And the people are standing by the sea, catching their breath, when suddenly they burst into song. Suddenly, Exodus has become a musical. Why? Well, they've actually got a very, very good reason to sing. They've seen God act to save them. So this morning, we're going to see that when God's peoples know him and when they see his salvation for them, they sing. Things turn musical and they praise God through song. And this isn't just for Israel by the side of the sea thousands of years ago. This is for God's people throughout time, including us. We too are swept up into a musical of praise to our God a musical which will last for eternity. Together, we're going to see three things from this song this morning. We're going to see first that God's people should sing. 
And then two reasons that Moses gives God's people to sing. They're to sing, for the Lord has defeated your enemies and for the Lord will deliver all of his promises. Reasons which aren't just for Israel, reasons which are for us too. Reasons why church really should be a musical, although maybe a little different from the scene that we imagined. So let's see for ourselves. First, in response to all that God has done, God's people sing. It all starts in verse 1. Israel's standing by the sea after God has saved them through it. The end of chapter 14 tells us that when they saw the great power of the Lord, Israel feared the Lord and believed in him and in his servant Moses. All through Exodus, the Lord has said that through the plagues and through his rescue of his people, Israel, the Egyptians, and all the world would know that he is the Lord. They will know him. And this finally happens. Because of all that they've seen, God's people fear the Lord and they believe in him. And then Moses and all the people of Israel start to sing. Why? Have a look in verse 1. Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. They're singing because the Lord has triumphed over the armies of Egypt. He has cast the horses, chariots and riders of Pharaoh into the sea. He has saved his people. They are free, freed to serve the living God. And the natural response to this is praise. Praise that overflows in song. Verse 2, the Lord is my strength and my song, for he has, and he has become my salvation. This is my God and I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. Now the people of Israel know the Lord for themselves. They have seen his character as a promise-keeping, people-rescuing, enemy-defeating God, and it's natural for this to overflow in praise, for them to honour God for all that he has done, to praise him. This is often the natural response we have when we see something amazing and praiseworthy, isn't it? When one of my kids shares her lollies with her sister without being asked, I want to say, great job, that was very kind. And I'll be like, wow, that's amazing. When we see an incredible game-winning try on the grand final, we rave about how good it was. When we taste a really well-cooked dinner or see a particularly beautiful painting, we gush about it. It's natural for us to praise something that's good. And if it's true for little things like that, how much more so for the incredible things that God has done to save his people? How much more so for the miraculous rescue through the sea? Something that the Lord has done for them. Notice that they don't just sing about the Lord, a God who is abstract and separate from them. They sing that the Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. They have come to know the Lord, just as he predicted back in chapter 6, verse 7. He is their God and they are his people. God has done this incredible, praiseworthy thing for them. And they can't help but 
for this kind of praise to overflow in song. It's a kind of joy and praise that results in singing in the shower, whistling on your way to work, praising God to everyone you meet. And this is the right response, the fitting response, the right response to knowing the Lord and seeing his salvation for his people is to sing his praises. This song, it's not about the people or about how they feel. It's all about God. Knowing God overflows in songs of praise to him. And this isn't an isolated incident. This is the pattern throughout scripture. Later in Numbers 21, when God provides them water in the wilderness, Israel sings his praises. In Judges 5, when God defeats their enemies, Deborah and Barak sing a song of praise. The prophets, they sing songs of praise to God for things that he hasn't even done yet. And if that's not enough, the biggest book that we have in the whole Bible is the book of Psalms. A whole book of songs of praise to God. And this is not just our past, this is our present too. In the New Testament, in Ephesians 5.19, Paul says that the result of being filled with the Spirit is that God's people are to be addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We sing praises to the Lord for all that he has done for us. And as we do so, we're not only praising God, but we're addressing one another. Did you pick that up there? We're encouraging each other. We're reminding each other of all that God has done for us, his people. You can see the same thing later, if you'd like, in Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. And if that's not enough, as you've seen recently, and as um, Stuart read for us before, the book of Revelation is full of God's people singing songs of praise to the Lord for all that he's done. In many ways, our praise now is getting ready for the main event, when all of God's people will be gathered with him in the new heavens and the new earth, when he will dwell with us, his people, and we will sing his praises for all that he has done forever. Knowing God and seeing what he has done to save us should overflow in songs of praise. So if you want one takeaway from this morning, it's quite simple. Sing. Sing praises to our God. The same God who rescued Israel by parting the Red Sea. Our God who has saved us through the death and resurrection of his own son, Jesus Christ. Sing praises to our God. Sing together as God's people on Sundays. Really belt it out. Sing together during the week or by yourself. Sing maybe even in the shower or in the car. Let's sing praises to our God. Maybe you don't think you're too much of a singer though. Maybe your singer is broken. Your singing muscle, it doesn't work. You get that God has done amazing things. You're more than happy to pray and to read the Bible and to talk about it. But you're not the singing type. If that's you, then I want to encourage you this morning to reconsider. But it's not just about trying harder, about mustering up the will to try singing. 
Notice that God's people sing when they see God's great rescue of them. They start to sing when they get to know God better by seeing firsthand how he has saved them. You see, singing God's praises flows from knowing the Lord more and from seeing his salvation more. The antidote to a broken singing muscle is not just to sing, it's to get a bigger picture of all that God has done to save us. And that's what we're going to see in this song. Moses' song, it has two big reasons why God's people should sing his praises. Two reasons which are just as powerful for us too. So if your singer is broken, if your singing muscles haven't been stretched in years, then listen in. I've got two great reasons why we should bring the house down together this morning. Two great reasons why you should be a part of church the musical. Although you'll be relieved to know that there won't be any choreographed dancing. The first reason is this. Sing, for the Lord has defeated your enemies. That's what the first half of this song is about. It starts in verse 3. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. The Lord is a mighty warrior. He's a man of war. He's fought on behalf of his people and he has won. In our day and age, this kind of language, it might make us a bit uncomfortable. We prefer to think of God as loving and merciful and gracious, which he is. But all this talk of war, we'd rather leave to the Old Testament or maybe to Revelation as well. But imagine for a moment that someone has broken into your house and wants to hurt your loved ones. Of course, you call the police, but if something needs to be done, you'll do it to protect your family. My family will tell you that I'm not a violent person at all, but in that moment, I'm going to be a man of war. (laughs) Maybe not a mighty warrior, but I will try and fight for my family. The Lord cares for his people. He hates evil. He hates everything is wrong that is wrong and hurts people who are made in his image. So he fights. He fights as a mighty warrior for the sake of his people. Moses gives us a great example in this song. God has fought uh, fought for his people against the Egyptians. And it's all God. In chapter 14, if you read it, God uses a great east wind to part the sea. We see Moses stretch out his staff. But notice how many times Moses mentions his own role in these verses. Verse 4. Pharaoh's chariots and his hosts he cast into the sea, and his chosen officers were sunk in the Red Sea. The floods covered them. They went down into the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you overthrow your adversaries. You send out your fury, it consumes them like stubble. At the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The floods stood up in a heap. The deeps congealed in the heart of the sea. Moses doesn't get a look in. It's all the Lord. Moses doesn't even mention his role because it's not important. It's the Lord who has fought for his people. 
The Lord's glorious and powerful right hand is what has shattered the enemy. The Lord's fury is what consumed his enemies. There was a great wind, but this was God's action. Moses pictures it as a blast from the Lord's nostrils. He's trying to say it's not a coincidence. It's not about a wind which just so happened to blow. This was the Lord directly involved in fighting for his people. The Lord is the one who made the sea congeal into solid walls so that his people could pass through. It's as if the Lord himself has bent down from heaven to wage hand-to-hand combat against Egypt. And the Lord didn't just defeat Egypt's B team. In verse 4, Moses calls them Pharaoh's chariots and hosts, Pharaoh's chosen officers. Egypt's army, they were the most powerful army in the ancient world. And Pharaoh sent his best soldiers. He sent the SAS, equipped with the best military equipment of the day. Chariots. These are like the tanks and missiles and attack helicopters of the ancient world. But even the most powerful army of the ancient world was no match for the Lord. Verse 10. You blew with your wind, the sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. The Lord has defeated all the enemies of his people. They won't be bothering God's people anymore. And all this causes God's people to exclaim, Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? There is no one like the Lord. He has shown his power over Pharaoh and over the greatest army of the ancient world. He's shown his power over the gods of Egypt, waging war against them in the ten plagues. By defeating the enemies of his people, he has shown his holiness, his glory, and his goodness. Who is like you, O Lord? And just like the Israelites by the sea, in fact, even more so, we should sing because the Lord has defeated our enemies. Except it's not just the Egyptian army which God has defeated. It's the seemingly invincible enemies of sin and death. These enemies which held us captive. We were enslaved to sin. Something which can't be fixed by doing good stuff because it flows out from our broken and defiled hearts like a broken sewer main. But in the greatest rescue in history, the Lord sent his own son to suffer and die for our sins. To win the victory over Satan, sin and death. At the cross, Jesus defeated all the rulers and authorities, all the powers of sin and death, and he put them to open shame. For those who trust in Jesus, death no longer holds any power. Sure, we die, but we aren't slaves to death. And we are no longer slaves to sin, but slaves to righteousness. So why should we sing? Because at the cross, the Lord has defeated all our enemies too. And we are free. But that's not the only reason. Moses gives them another Second, God's people are to sing, for the Lord will deliver all of his promises. From verse 13, the tone of the song shifts. The first half was about God as a mighty warrior, but now they sing about his faithful leading as a loving shepherd. Verse 13, 
For you have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. Before, God's people sang about God's victory over Egypt as a mighty warrior. Now they sing about his faithful leading as a loving shepherd. In the Lord's steadfast love, his always faithful, never giving up, promise-keeping love, the Lord has led the people he has redeemed, the people he has bought for himself from slavery in Egypt. And he has guided them to his holy abode. Now, this is where it gets tricky because it's hard to know whether God's holy abode is Mount Sinai, where God will come to meet with his people, or, or maybe it's, it's the tabernacle where God will dwell with his people, at the promised land, or even the temple in Jerusalem hundreds of years later. But regardless of exactly where God's holy abode is, notice something interesting. The people... They're still standing and singing by the side of the sea. This actually hasn't happened yet. God has led them across the sea, but he hasn't yet brought them to his holy abode. And it's the same thing with the nations. Moses says that they've heard and are trembling. Verse 16, terror and dread fall upon them because of the greatness of your arm. They are still as a stone till your people, O Lord, pass by, till the people pass by whom you have purchased. Just as the Lord said, the other nations will know him and they will be terrified because of the greatness of the Lord. They won't bother God's people. But Israel's still by the side of the sea. This hasn't happened yet either. Verse 17 is brimming with the same confidence. You will bring them in and plant them on your own mountain, the place, O Lord, which you have made for your abode the sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established. The Lord will bring his people in and establish them on his mountain, probably Mount Sinai, where God will meet with his people. But there's at least a hint here of when God will establish his temple on Mount Zion in Jerusalem and dwell with his people. How can they sing with this kind of confidence about something that hasn't happened yet? Well, it's all because the Lord has decisively defeated the Egyptians. Because he has defeated their enemies, they're confident that he will deliver on all of his promises. They're confident that he will take them to the land. Even though there are plenty of battles which lie ahead of them, even though they aren't there yet, they're confident that God will deliver on his promises because how he has already acted to save. They sing... For the Lord will deliver all of his promises. And like the Israelites, this is true for us too. At the cross, the Lord has decisively acted to defeat all of his enemies. It's game over, man. God has won. It's all over bar the shouting. Now there are still battles yet to be fought. We aren't yet in the promised land. God has not yet finally delivered on his promises to return and to set all things right, to deal with all sorrow and suffering and sickness and death and pain, to restore us in all things. The final promise hasn't been delivered yet. But because God has defeated his enemies, we can be absolutely 100% sure 
of the outcome. The Lord will deliver all of his promises to us. One day he'll return to deal with evil, death and suffering once and for all. He'll restore all things. He'll dwell with us forever in the new heavens and the new earth. Every tear will be wiped from our eyes and everything bad will come untrue. Every promise that the Lord has made can be counted on. For those who trust in Jesus Christ, he has promised to forgive all our sins. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 100% guaranteed. He has adopted us as his sons and daughters, guaranteed. He is working in our hearts by his Holy Spirit, growing us in faith and godliness, guaranteed. He is with us always to the end of the age, guaranteed. He hears all our prayers, guaranteed. Somehow he works even our suffering for our good, guaranteed. The work he has begun in us, he will carry through to completion, guaranteed. The Lord will deliver all of his promises. So let's sing. If your singing muscles haven't been stretched in years, if your singer is broken, remember all that God has done for us. Ponder again the incredible rescue we have through Jesus' death and resurrection. Ponder again this morning how in him the Lord has defeated all of our enemies. Ponder again how the Lord will deliver on all of his promises. 100% guaranteed. Every single one. And let that overflow in songs of praise. In fact, I think we should do that together as God's people right now. Church might not be a musical... We might not leap up and start dancing an incredible choreographed musical number. The preacher definitely will not be hopping on top of the piano and tap dancing. But we can and should sing songs of praise to the Lord our God together. The one who has defeated all of our enemies and the one who will deliver on all of his promises. Let us sing to the Lord for he has triumphed gloriously and he will reign forever and ever. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are a good and gracious God who is worthy of all praise and glory and honour. You are the God who has defeated all of our enemies at the cross. You are the God who will deliver on all of your promises, every single one, 100% guaranteed. Thank you, Lord. You are the God who saved your people Israel from the Egyptians through the Red Sea and you have saved us. Please, Lord, stir our hearts with these things. Soften hard hearts. Renew our joy in you, we pray. May all these things overflow in songs of praise to you for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to sing together now, I believe, 10,000 reasons uh, for us to sing God's praises. Let's sing together.